Let me start with the, this story. There were two really good friends that both lived in the shtetl. They'd grown up with Judaism in its prime, the way it was in the old cities in, in, in Europe. And they both immigrated to America at the same time. Now, America of that time, the 30s and the 40s, assimilation was at an all-time high. You know, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't keep Shabbos and hold a steady job. If you didn't come in on Saturday, the boss would just say, don't come back on Monday. It was, you know, to, 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 to keep Shabbos required incredible self-sacrifice. And uh, both of these friends, deeply committed, told each other that they would do whatever it takes to keep Shabbos. So no matter if that means they have to jump from job to job each week, if they won't have bread to put on the table, come what may, we're going to keep Shabbos. And they did. Both of them. Each in their own neighborhood. They kind of drifted ways when they came to New York. Um, started living their own lives. But each was completely given over to this one thing. Shabbos we don't violate at any expense. And it happened. They both built their families, built their careers. They met up 30 years later. Hadn't seen each other, catching up on old times. They checked in about their Shabbos commitment and it was revealed that they both kept it faithfully. But interestingly, one of these men's children all left the path of Orthodox Judaism. Family life was just too hard. They said, if this is what it means to be Orthodox, we're out. And the other's children remained devoted. Even with the hardships, they, they, they kept the traditions. And it was very curious because here they both did the same thing, went to the same lengths to keep this mitzvah, and yet one couldn't hold his family down on his path and the other one succeeded. So they went to a rabbi to seek his guidance. The way I heard the story was that happened with Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, one of the greatest of the great of the last generation. And they wanted to understand I put in the misirut nefesh, I put in the self-sacrifice, my friend put in the self-sacrifice. What happened? Where, where did the disconnect happen? And he began to schmooze with them. And it was revealed that the one, every week, would come home with his pink slip, that he was fired, would burst into his home, and with a smile and a joyfulness, he would say, Ah, this is good to Zainayid. It's good to be Jewish. Every Shabbos, without fail, he comes home with, he's fired. He doesn't have a job for the next week. But his, the, the spirit that he put into his family was, it's good to be Jewish. It's, it's, it's pleasurable to be Jewish. It's fun. It's happy to be Jewish. Thank God we're Jewish. And the second, each week would come home with a pink slip in his hand and tell his wife, Oi, it's hard to be Jewish. And at his Shabbos table, 
It's hard to be Jewish. It's difficult to be Jewish. And so what happened was one family is raised with the spirit of keeping close to Hashem is the best thing and the other is growing up with it as a burden. Of course, the children follow the example. If my father sees Yiddishkeit as a difficulty, so who needs it? But if my father sees Yiddishkeit as a great quality and, and, and you know, the, holding the ultimate connection to Hashem, of course I want to follow in that way. The choice between looking at Judaism as a pain or as a joy is the heart of chapter 31. That's, that's the... Uh, the essence of it. How we get there, we're going to set the stage right now. So over the last five weeks, since chapter 26, <coughs> we opened up this new section of the Tanya. And basically what the Alter Rebbe said, his, his, his tagline message, is that life, to live life, and to constantly make the right choices, requires requires energy. You need traction. You need to feel like you're on the road if you want to be constantly on your game. Everybody knows weakness hits when we're feeling down. When we're feeling up, when we're feeling empowered, when we're feeling strong, it's very easy to make the right choices. And so if you want to be the Benoni, if you want to live to the Tanya standard of a Jew, it needs, it needs that strength. And that strength we called in these classes Simcha, joy. It's an inner quality that dictates the way you live. It's not, it's a line we repeated a number of times. This joy is not caused by life, it's a cause for life. It's an inner emotion that allows you to face life with the fullest strength. And everybody needs that to move forward. What happens is sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes we feel like the wheels are just spinning and we're not moving anywhere. And that's really what has been going on for the last five weeks is that the chassid, in other words, the virtual follower of the Alter Rebbe, the, 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 the student of the Tanya, is basically saying, I'm stuck. I need movement. And so the Alter Rebbe said, what's going on? What's happening in your life that's causing this, this stopness? So sometimes he was able to identify it. Chapter 26, way back, we talked about a guy who has financial issues he, or he feels guilty about sins he committed in the past. And then chapter 27, there was a struggle with life. Chapter 28, struggle with identity. These were all identifiable reasons why a person would lose motivation. And each time the author ever said, this is what you should do. That's, you know, if you come with, with a identifiable sickness, I can offer a solution. Then what happened in chapter 29 was that the chassid comes to the Alter Rebbe and says, I'm not moving and I don't know why. I can't identify the cause. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm in the tunnel and it's just dark. And over the last two weeks, chapter 29, chapter 30, the Alter Rebbe says the remedy to a numbness, to a frozenness, being stuck without a cause, is because there's something in your animal soul something, we don't know what it is, that's causing a blockade. 
its, its ego has inflated to the point that it's blocking the, the pathway for the godliness to, to inspire you. What might that blockage be? Well, the Alter Rebbe gave a number of, of examples. Maybe it's something that you corrected in the past, but you haven't fully corrected. At your current level now, you could use another correction. Maybe it was a meaningless act that you engaged in. Not an evil one, but a, but, but a meaningless one. Last week we talked about being humble, but not just being humble because you recognize that everything you have is a gift from God. Being humble because you see that the other person's struggle takes so much more effort than your own. For you to make the right choice takes this much effort. For the guy who lives in Vegas to make the right choices you know, on the street corners, that takes much more effort. Are you working that much? That was something that the Alter Rebbe gave him. So basically over the last five weeks, each time it's problem, solution, problem, solution. But what we have to think about is, where do we want to get to with the solutions? What happens after the issue is solved? Guy comes to the Alter Rebbe, got an issue, we move the Rubik's Cube, it's solved. What are we back to? So typically we think, oh, now we're back to the, the way it was before. Before I was motivated, before I was feeling good, before I was moving along, strong. Once you solve my issue, I'm back to that. I'm back to moving forward, I'm back to making good progress. But we have a principle in Judaism that every yirida, every descent has to cause an ascent. Whenever you bounce back, you bounce back stronger. So if chapter 26 to 30 was the tunnel, chapter 31 is the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not just any light, it's a much greater light. Why? Or what about it is, uh, is greater? So the Alter Rebbe gives the classic idea that uh, you know, there's, there's, an old, there's an age old, you can say philosophical debate that goes through the ages. What's better, consistent Judaism or moody Judaism? Right? Consistent. Consistent seems to be the answer. It's kind of like, you know, the guy who was born on top of the mountain. Can we go back to that metaphor from way back, chapter 18? He's born into the family. He had the upbringing. Everything's going right for him. He never faced exposure to the other side. His Judaism is on a smooth path. Right. So in one way, we, we, I mean, we could see the advantage of consistency, you never run into problems, and it's always good. Then you have the moody Judaism, which is pretty much the Judaism we all experience. <laughs> First, we start late in life. Right, that's, just the, that's the baseline. We didn't have the full upbringing opportunities that others might have had. And even then, one day we're in it, one day we're not in it, one thing we connect to, the other thing we don't connect to. Everything's a struggle. Sometimes we have doubts. 
One day we wake up, who says this whole thing is true? And the other day, boom, it's clear as day, I know it, you know, that, that thing. So, huh? Yeah. So, I mean, of course, there's something great to be said for consistent Judaism because it never fails. But depth can only be found in Moody Judaism. It's only when you've doubted and broken through it that you really can appreciate it. It's only when you've struggled and overcome it that your connection is real. That's why when we were in yeshiva, they would always tell us, the day you doubt the Judaism is the beginning of your discovery to your real Judaism. Because look, we grew up, we grew up with it. And guys would complain, I have these doubts, da, da, da. The teachers would always say, now you're starting the real deal. Because it's only when you're going to work through that that, uh, that you'll know it's, that you, you've connected with it for real. But you're still, I, I mean, I think it's consistency with complacency or consistency with desire. So you're, when you're at your sheep, you're, you're oh, there yeah. every day. Yeah. You're so, consistent, but you could easily get complacent. Right. If you're there every day and there's a day where you're like, I don't want to be here, and then there's a struggle and they talk you through it, then the next day it's going to be... Right, I want 100%. Yeah. And, and I guess, of course, in the end, that's the ultimate, you know, that you want to strive for, is to have both the consistency and the advantages of the moodiness. But in terms of if we could isolate them, those would basically be the two paths. And the Alter Rebbe says, a guy who never had to deal with chapters 26 to 30, he was born with the Benoni spirit going... Everything's going fine. He never has to deal with struggles. There's something to be said for him. But if you have gone through the tunnel, when you come out, you don't just revert back to the level of consistency you had before. You come out with an incredible clarity, with an incredible joy, an incredible freedom. It's very, it's very freeing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I can assume it, but I'm sure everyone has experienced this in some form or another in your life. A moment of clarity. A moment when the light bulb goes on. It, it could be in any area of your life, but the idea that it's not just flat, but that you, you, you discovered something. You know, a moment of discovery. A moment of discovery brings about incredible joy, satisfaction, good feelings. So the Alter Rebbe says, know this, if I've succeeded in guiding you through the last five chapters and you came out on the other side, you're not just going to find that you will have, again, motivation in Judaism. You're going to find a whole new clarity. You'll find yourself in a space that you perhaps never experienced before. Almost like what I hear from many people could be a moment at the end of Yom Kippur. That type of a thing. Where everything just makes sense. Everything is aligned. Everything fits. Everything is anchored. The truth is apparent. It's right there.
So those are the, those are the facts that he lays down. The author lays that down in the beginning of the chapter. He says, I just want you to know, you who have gone through the darkness, when you come out in the light, it's extra light. It's extra bright. It's extra joyful. <coughs> because, it, yeah, because it's coming from that perspective. Everything is in perspective. By the way, parenthetically, there's a parenthetical point in the chapter, which is, why would you fight negativity with negativity? You know, a lot of the advice had to do with going through a, a grieving process or a mourning process or bashing yourself for things you may not have done. Why, why is that the path that leads you out of the tunnel? You would think if you're in a dark tunnel, shine a flashlight. Why make it more dark and more bitter? So this is where the, uh, the Alter Rebbe quotes the famous Zohar. It's also in the Talmud alluded to, and some of you might know it from the Matisyahu's pop song. From the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. Statement in the Talmud. The axe which chops down the tree got its own handle from the tree. Which Kabbalistically alludes to the fact that sometimes you have to fight fire with fire. Sometimes the, uh, the negative force within you, when it's compounded with a, a mourning or a, a, a more negativity in a way, that could serve to, to uproot the, uh, the first negative force. It can offset that power. Plus, the author ever goes into a whole thing which we'll, we'll probably discuss more at length if we, if and when we get to the third part of Tanya, the tshuva part. God willing. God willing, we will, which talks about uh, the two types of sadness. There's sadness that brings you down and sadness that actually is a motivator. Some, sometimes depression brings out the best in us. I mean, this, this could, I've heard this, I'm not in the business world, but I've heard from businessmen that sometimes being caged down into a situation where you think everything's gonna blow up could actually be the biggest motivator to your greatest, you know, your, your, your next greatest catalyst. Sometimes the feeling of being trapped and the feeling of being caught and the feeling of being stuck itself becomes a springboard. Exactly. It's very, it's very popular today with, uh, you know, adversity builds resilience, right? That whole thing. The more you face, they say kids are not growing up today with enough adversity. Right? They're too protected, they're too sheltered. Even falling into the sandbox is a form of adversity. Right? Where they get dirty and then they clean up. Kids today don't, from what I understand, they don't fall in sandboxes anymore. But that's the... In the dark, hanging upside down, maybe you're a butterfly. Mm. So that, you know, like some people can look at the cocoon as being trapped in this horrible thing, <coughs> and some people can look at it going, you know what, I'm going to emerge out of this darkness, out and of this alone, you know, this lonely spot as a butterfly. Abs wow, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Right, I've heard that before. Wow. Yeah. 
It's the struggle that brings the color. So that's, you know, that's that. But, but the, 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 the central point, the focal point, is that uh, when you come out, you come out stronger. The question is, and here's where we tie it back to that, that Shabbos story, the question is, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do with the moment of clarity? Or to ask it in other words, how can you maintain it? And this part is not in the Tanya, but I, I want to just give you some context. Because uh, I, I believe it, it really reinforces the point the Altar Rebbe wants to make. We've talked about this in chapter 2. When we were first hearing about the godly soul, this was part of the discussion back then. It's, it's uniquely Kabbalistic and Hasidic. It's a position unique to Kabbalah and Hasidus that the soul has a practical element. Philosophically, or until the Kabbalah sages, the soul was just understood as an academic truth. We have organisms, plants, animals, and we have people. And we're alive and we're functioning and we're moving around. There's gotta be, there's gotta be some vivifying energy. There's gotta be some, some core driving with a force. And it was almost understood that there has to be a soul. But the soul was never looked at as a, uh, a being. Kabbalah introduced the concept that souls, our souls, really, are an entity. They have values, they have perspective, they have an energy, they have a power, they look at things in a certain way. Our soul is very trusting. Our soul at its core has complete trust and faith and therefore it has no doubt. It's always joyful because there's nothing distracting it. We also have another soul, the animal soul that also has, in the view of Kabbalah and Hasidus, values and energy that it wants to communicate to us. But the idea that a soul is not just there as the seat of our being, but also as a way to live life. You could live by your godly soul. You could live by your animal soul. We've talked about this. This was such a big theme in the beginning of the Tanya. How do you live? Which wolf are you going to feed? So the Alter Rebbe says, you just came into this space. It's a new experience. You've never felt as close to Hashem as you feel now. You just came out of a particularly challenging time and you found the meaning, you found the clarity, you found the light. He kind of plays it down. He says, you gotta, you gotta acknowledge that that's your soul's experience. That's your soul on fire. Your soul's perspective is that everything is godly, everything is true, everything is divine, everything is meaningful, everything is powerful. And therefore, everything is joyful and energetic and fun. This is good, so Zainayid. 
It's good to be Jewish. But your body, he uses the term your body, but it basically means your, your, your material side, your animal soul, the selfish part of you, in the very next moment, wants to convince you, it's difficult. Judaism is a pain in the neck. Obligations, prohibitions, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I can't do this, I can't do that, I could see this, I can't see that, I can't touch this, I can't touch that. It's a whole list of do's and don'ts. And, and, and it's, it, it's, paradoxically, they're both true at the same time. See, the part that I didn't give away in the story was that they're both right. It's good to Zainayit, schwer to Zainayit. It's good to be Jewish and it's tough to be Jewish. They're both true. We get to choose the perspective we live. You know, when I was in Australia, I'll never forget this. I've repeated it so many times. I visited a guy and uh, we got to talking about his Jewish experiences. What was it like for him growing up? Where he came, what he was affiliated with. Guy's not religious, very, very attached to his Judaism. And he said something to me, he said, you know, I had a grandmother. And sometimes the greatest wisdom comes from our grandmothers. Because I had a grandmother, fully religious, fully committed. One thing she would always tell me, she said, sometimes it's hard to be Jewish, but it's always special. You're gonna grow up, sometimes it's gonna be hard to be Jewish, but it's always special. And he said, that line kept me, kept me connected. Because some people make it rosy, right? Oh, it's great, it's fun, and they don't acknowledge the reality that it's tough. You're going to face enemies. You're going to face, you know, I mean, if I could say so myself, the, the world is the biggest enemy of religion. Forget religion. The world is, is, in a way, the world is the enemy of every positive and moral value. I don't think I'd be lying if I said that. And you know what? It could be it's the way Hashem wired it. Living Jewish, living this way is going against the current. So, at any point in our lives, we can legitimately say, in other words, I, I will not judge anybody or discount anybody who says, it's tough to be Jewish. And the Alter Rebbe himself in this chapter is saying the same thing. He said, I'm not going to deny it. You have a soul and you have a body. Your soul is joyful because your soul's perspective is truth, divinity, godliness, energy, joy, traction. Your body is, he, he actually uses the word sad because sadness in our context means lack of the energy, lack of joy. Your body gets up in the morning and says, oh, I have to make a blessing, what a pain. Oh, I have to eat kosher, what a pain. 
oh, I have to put on tefillin, whatever. Everything is like, everything is like, uh, everything's work. So, so, so it gets down, it gets, it gets sad. And so the Alter Rebbe says, you have, I'll just use the Hebrew words because they're great. It says you have simchat ha-nefesh, the joy of your soul, and itzavon ha-guf, and the sadness of your body. You choose. That's right. And by the way, it's, it's important to point out that the struggle in the Tanya is never about being religious. See, the, the guy in Tanya is religious. He's a benoni. He's committed. It's a question of perspective. Is your Judaism going to be a pain or your Judaism is going to be a joy? And the Altar basically says, if you want to sustain, if you want to keep up the clarity that you're feeling, the light that, you, that, that, that turned on for you, you have to... He says these words, you have to be a soul person. You have to be the guy who prefers his soul's perspective over his body's. And by the way, this is going to be a theme that's going to develop beautifully over the next three chapters. How do you, how, I mean, how do you sustain that level? Like, He's going to give those, some... I've had those moments, right? Like where I'm, I've wrapped the foot in the morning and I can't get to the shop. Like, yeah. Fully connected, fully in tune, fully, fully in like, touch. Fully, fully, fully. And then, you know, and maybe that happens two days in a row. Okay? And then, then but never three. <laughs> rarely three. I mean, I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know if it's ever happened. Yeah. Um, but, but, I mean, that's ultimately the, the level. I mean, I've been in shul sometimes, and I've seen things. I've had, like, you know, that, like, how good it is to be a Jew. Right? Like, that real deep. And I'm coming from the place of. The, the um, what did you use it? Not the consistency, the Moody. Moody, Moody Judaism. I'm a Moody Jew. Like, there's okay. A, there's a band that played it. Coachella last year. Moody Jews. Yeah. Uh, um, but how do you? How, how do you? How do you? I mean, because that's where you want to live all the time. That's right. And that's the. So it's just like you're, you get a peek at it, just like as a as a piece. Like, I'll, you know, I'll, did it work? It's a great question. I think it's the question that everyone's thinking. I'll be honest with you because the Alter Rebbe is honest that way. He, he sets a high bar. He's going to address this question in, in another sentence. But first, he laid, I'll, I'll get to it. And, 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 we'll, we'll, and we'll, we'll unpack it and then we'll see if it answers the question. But the, the, this is the, uh, the headline, so to speak. You get to choose if it's good to be a Jew or tough to be a Jew. And if you want to sustain the moments of clarity and light, you got to choose the good side. You got to choose to live by the soul, to live by the neshama's way of seeing things. And, and if you'll do that, you'll find yourself truly joyful. That's chapter 31. You'll find yourself truly being able to love others. That's chapter 32. Once you, once you become an basically the, the next four chapters is what happens when you become an Ashama person. Chapter 31 says you become an Ashama person, you'll, you'll be able to sustain joy. Chapter 32, you become an Ashama person, you'll be able to sustain love. Chapter 33 and 34, if you become an Ashama person, you'll be able to sustain faith. Even for the Benoni, and certainly for us in a certain way. 
but yeah, even the Benoni finds himself struggling to uh, to love, or to believe, or to be joyful. So, so that that's really the uh, I guess the key which unlocks the next four weeks worth. So it's always a conscious decision. Yes, you have to always be on top of it. I'm choosing to live by my soul today. It's one of the reasons, it's not in the Tanya, but it's one of the reasons why we talk so much about the soul in the beginning of our prayers. In the Modani, thank you Hashem for returning my soul. The next chapter, the next paragraph is about the soul. You put it into me, it's pure, all about the soul. It's a reminder that today needs to be a soul day. Hmm. And when you have a soul day, you'll find that... Um, well, in tonight's case, you'll find that you can sustain joy. But here's the catch, and this is to answer the question of how, how do we actually sustain it? So the Alter Rebbe never minces words. He never sells us out. He gives us the honest truth. And the honest truth is, is two things. First, Judaism has to be the center of your life. It can't revolve around your life. Your life needs to revolve around it. That's point one. Point two, you have to train yourself to live from mitzvah to mitzvah. It's kind of the same idea. One is more of an attitude. Judaism is my center, everything gets shaped around it. Second is in the practical, to find ways to live from mitzvah to mitzvah. Because remember, and I'm gonna just pick on something from chapter 23. The Alter Rebbe spent a lot of time speaking about how mitzvahs are literally carriers. They're vehicles of godliness into the world. Wrapping tefillin is not just you submitting to Hashem. It's actually you transferring a godly energy into the world. That stays there forever. And a part of us is wrapping tefillin constantly because we've, we've done it once. So if we train ourselves to live in a certain way, from mitzvah to mitzvah. I get up in the morning, I do one good thing. Before that good thing has a chance to wear off, 20 minutes later, I'm doing another good thing. Good things, I mean, everybody wants to do good things. And good things are, are limitless. There's so many opportunities. For some, it could be from tefillin to Torah to lulavan to lulava and, and, and to kosher. For others, well, if we're living in a different life, you find your mitzvah. For you, it's waking up in the morning, eating something kosher, treating business honestly, and learning Torah Wednesday night. That could be your pattern. Everyone's pattern is different. But the overarching theme, the overarching theme is that Yiddishkeit is the center and we live. We, we, we consciously live with that, with that perspective. And then we've chosen to be soul people. If we've chosen to be soul people, the body will constantly make suggestions. And this is another point of the Alter Rebbe's honesty. He never says, if you choose to be a soul person, you'll never hear from your body again. No, <laughs> no. At, at every minute, it's going to be as easy to say, this is annoying, as it will be to say, this is fantastic. And it's going to be you who's going to dictate, am I going to adopt 
how the soul feels about this or how the body feels about this. And what happens is something, and this is a fascinating Kabbalistic concept. What happens is when you do this, ironically, you become an even greater Baal Teshuvah. See, Teshuvah is what brought us to the, the moment of clarity, the light. Then we sustained it. You become an even greater Baal Teshuvah. Now, how is that? You didn't do any sins in the middle. You didn't do anything requiring Teshuvah. So what is, how do you become a, a better Baal Teshuvah? So listen to this. This is straight from Kabbalah. The Alter Rebbe quotes this all the time. We think of tshuva as replacing or retrieving missed opportunities, missed energy. Let's use more more Kabbalistic terminology. Every time we do a negative act, we're we're carrying negative energy into the world. Tshuva means to return that energy to its place. If it's a negative energy, get it out of here. If it's a positive energy we missed, we want to pick it up again. But there's also a tshuva. There's also a return that God imposed on us. The very fact that we're down here in this world is a distance from God. Now, that's not our fault. He, he made that. He manufactured that. But every time we get ourselves closer to God, there's an element of tshuva there. Because tshuva literally means return. You're returning Kabbalah uses the terminology, you return the hey, the, the final letter hey of God's name to the rest of his name. The hey is the representative of your neshama, kind of separated from godliness, so to speak. You do something, you're, you're, you're doing uh, defragmentation. You have it on your computer, you defrag, defragmentation. The soul fragmented from God, now you do something to realign it, reconnects. So if you choose to live the soul life, the good to be a Jew life, the uh, making positive choices, living mitzvah to mitzvah, Yiddishkeit is my center, you're doing a type of tshuva. You're getting your soul more in touch with God. And so by not doing sins, you get a greater tshuva. There's, there's, there's two metaphors that the Alter Rebbe in this chapter gives for this concept of the choice between good and, 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 and tough. One is a prince. Crown prince who got stuck in jail. Traveling abroad, got mixed up with some bad guys, ended up in jail. They're not the jails of today where you go to a correctional facility and you get treated better than you get treated on the streets. The jails of yesteryear, where you were put to work, and he, he, he borrows even a terminology from, from the Navi, tochem beveta asurim, grinding in jail. Shimshon, Samson, was described when he was in the end of his life when he was imprisoned by the Philistines. He's described as grinding in the jail. The, the lowest prisoners were put to work in the mill. And uh, this prince, this crown prince, is in jail, and not just in any jail, but in the filthy, dirty part of the jail. He says, what happens when the prince comes out of prison? 
circumstances, divine providence, he's released. He's walking back to his father's palace, but he smells, he's dirty, and yet he's the king's son. The king is faced with that choice. Pain or joy? It's my son, joy. He's dirty and smelly, it's a pain. Both legitimate, just like in Judaism. Both are equally true at the same time and it's perspective that will dictate how you live it. And of course, the author ever says the king will embrace his son. Which father is not going to go for that, that side? And so he says that's a metaphor to understand that good and, good and well, let's call it joyful and sadness could coexist and it will be your frame of mind that will decide how it goes. And then he gives another metaphor from actually the exodus of Egypt. Yitziat Mitzrayim. There's a very fascinating verse that says the Jewish people ran away from Egypt. The Alter says they ran away. If you read the story, Paro basically chased them out. And he was so terrified that he would die. He said, go, don't come back. I don't want to see you again. If the Jews would have asked for anything at that time, they would have gotten it. They weren't running away like thieves in the middle of the night. They were free men. And the Alter Rebbe says something. It's a game changer. He says they were running away from themselves. The Jewish people knew that they had become so entrenched in Egyptian culture that they started to see the world through Egyptified eyes. And when God did all these miracles, they were like the Balchuva in our chapter who gets that clarity, the light turns on, the truth of godliness is now apparent. They said to themselves, if we don't get out of here, we're going to revert right back to the difficult to be Jewish. Because even though we have this amazing ten plagues, miracles, da 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 but we, we see where we've come. So they had to run away. To run away from their own negative outlook. And that would be the recipe that would allow them to uh, to be able to now sustain this new level. Now, Alter Rebbe says when they came to the, to the beginning of the Torah, Hashem gave them a boost and kind of uh, almost made it innate that Jews follow their souls. Yeah. Isn't that also sometimes the interpretation when Moses kills the Egyptian that he's killing his animal soul? Okay. He's killing that, that part of himself off in order to... Um, I, I've, I've never read that, but I'm sure it, it rings true. It rings true. And there's a closing thought. And then we'll, we'll leave it at that. Because it's, it's, it's a long chapter, 31. The closing thought is that when you choose to be a soul person, 
it's not just yourself that you're transforming. We're very prone to think that uh, my life is just my life. And I'm experiencing a light. I want to keep it going for myself. I want the inspiration to keep burning. So I choose to be a soul person. The Alter Rebbe says, because we're Jewish and Jews were created to affect the world, every time a Jew decides to live with his soul, he raises up a part of the world. So our, our, our deeds have a macro effect, a micro effect, and a macro effect. And the goal, says the Alter Rebbe, is to reach the time when we will have saturated the world with soulfulness to the point that there will no longer be a choice. Nothing in the world will scream opposition to living with divinity. Everything will have been transformed so that there's no opposing force. And when there's no opposing force, we don't have to make a choice. We all live with our souls. And that's Mashiach. Mm. Mashiach is, the world has become attuned to living with the soul. Mm. And so divine consciousness becomes the obvious reality. Chaim. 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 Chaim.